Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and on this show, we dig into some of the fantastic games that Warlord Games puts out. Now, a little while back, Warlord leaked a game that, uh, that we had not known was coming. And it is a game that they are uh, doing a partnership with, with a, with a game studio in the United States. And it's a game that is roughly associated with, or very closely associated with, one of my personal favorites from the Warlord catalog, and that's Warlords of Erewhon. Now, it takes a special group of guys to take the work of Rick Priestley and run with it. And today we're going to meet some of those fantastic characters. You might know them as Lord Mortis or Father Time. But of course, if I'm talking about those names, you would be in the great state of New Jersey. And we would be talking to both the founder, Nelson Martinez, and Chris Remitz, the lead game developer from Mythicos Studios. Gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games podcast. Good to wow. be here, sir. Very good this to be here. This is exciting. Yep. Yeah, it is. Thank you for having us, Brad. Anytime, uh, guys, anytime we can talk about Warlords of Erewhon is a good time for me. Now, I, I led off with your nicknames rather than your proper uh, studio names, but let's talk a little bit about that because your nicknames tie directly to the development of this new game, Mythic Americas. Um, before we get into what the game is, let's talk about how it came to be. So you guys are part of a game group known as the Silverbacks. Can you guys give us a little bit of background of who those guys are and how that led to the development of Mythic Americas? I, we have to take a couple of roads and somewhere uh, <laughs> in, the, in the recent future, they merged together. So um, the club itself, the Silverbacks, uh, started out way back when, uh, when we started going through our local hobby store. Um, and as a club, we were playing Warhammer Fantasy, mm -hmm. another classic uh, Rick Priestley game, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, we all grew up on it and absolutely love. I, mean, I thought in the, in the beginning, Warhammer Fantasy was just one of those, the best games out there. So um, we met, you know, we, we got together, we got organized. And one of the things that we found out, I don't know, this is true where you live, Brad, but uh, here in the States, a lot of times uh, getting a, a table together to, to play some games at your local hobby store. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So, Correct. Uh, you know, we sort of organized and started the Silverbacks and started a club with the, the intention of like working with a local store to really have a cool space. And that literally grew into this idea of uh, starting a company, uh, which we started called Mythico Studios, mm -hmm. which we started as, a, as an entertainment company. And the idea of the company, one of the ideas of the company was to have really the best awesomest gaming space we can put together right so nice. we we started thinking about how to do this and um so if you come to one of our studios we, we will now have two in the beginning by, by the first of november <clears throat> you will see that uh, the studio is divided into basically uh three parts two-thirds of which is gaming space um and so we really spent a lot of time uh, creating an awesome place where every table feels very cinematic mm -hmm. um and so it's been a great uh, uh, labor of love for all of us. Chris has been a part of that as well. And, you know, we uh, really sort of grew as a club and it became a membership organization. And now it's just grown beyond, you know, I, I can't even, I mean, it's an amazing thing, right? So we plan to have four studios, you know, by, by the end of next year. 
so we just keep growing even in the time of COVID. Uh, uh, we, you know, we love what, uh, what's happening with the community. It is a community. It was built to be a community, you know, sort of grown from, from the silverbacks. Brilliant. Uh, and so it's been great. I mean, I, I, I don't know, Chris, what do you think? I mean, I think it's been an amazing five years uh, as an experience. It has been uh, one of the funner points in my life, to be quite honest with you. But the truth be told, Brad, the reason they call me Father Time isn't because I'm ancient, although I am kind of ancient. <laughs> I've seen it's, the beard. It's it's because it's because I take a long time when I'm playing games. I may be <laughs> I may be slow. That, that's a rumor, but it, it, there may be some uh, fraction of truth behind that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, one of the uh, other gamers, uh, I think it might have been Angry Ant, who had uh, just started calling me Father Time when it was my turn to go in some of the games that we're playing. I refute that. I think that uh, Ant was part of the problem. But that's how <laughs> no, the name no, you're, I remember playing with your high, against your high elves. <laughs> And you meditating about a move for what felt like two weeks. I'm like, I haven't eaten in two weeks, Chris. We have to leave or make time has no meaning. It has no meaning to me because I am Father Time. So uh, I I never thought of it that way. But yeah, so that that's uh, unfortunately how I got my nickname, and unfortunately stuck. Yeah. So that road of the club is one of the roads that we took uh, to do this. The other. thing was really honestly we when we started mythicos so part of the idea i've been working on this project for 10 years by the way brad um, oh, wow. in one where yeah so i'm um we're in uh, april uh april may we we uh, publish our first novel based on mythic america so it's exciting I'm, um awesome. it's an exciting time for us um but the the game was born out of frustration uh, a few years back. And actually, when I was playing fantasy a lot, I, I always had this notion of, you know, here we are living in the States. I grew up in Latin America. I grew up in Venezuela and uh, mm-hmm. Colombia half, half the time until we migrated up to the States. And I always thought, you know, it's kind of cool that, you know, we play fantasy, all the sort of Tolkien tropes, you know, right. uh, dwarves and elves and orcs and, you know, ogres and trolls and all this other stuff. And I go, you know, we live in America and the Americas have amazing mythology. Right. And I just, I mean, it's incredible stuff, right? And if you really just, you don't have to scratch the surface too hard and you find incredible things. And I thought, how come nobody's really sort of put this together in, in a, in a cool, you know, fun way, uh, that sort of, uh, plays to, to our strengths, the things that we love to do, which is tabletop gaming. Right. Um, and then, you know, Father Time and I are also both very big history fans. So mm-hmm. we, we have the, the advantage of, you know, playing uh, Bolt Action or Cruel Seas or Black Seas mm-hmm. or, you know, Blood Red Skies, you know. Uh, and um, we thought, well, here are two things we love, the sort of America's mythology uh, and our historical uh, gaming. So uh, there, there, there you go. It's Mythic America's combining those two passions um and we needed a gaming system to make it happen so we started you know talking about and we can talk about that in more detail later but honestly we were playing uh warlords of Aaron, which i particularly love mm-hmm. just because i think it's an awesome awesome system i mean rick did a great job in creating just an incredibly solid foundation and, and i think a very balanced gaming system agreed um so we thought geez i mean why why reinvent the wheel we can um we can work with Warlord, make this game built on the foundations that, that Rick already put together, mm-hmm. and then just um, make it Mythic Americas. And so that's what we did. Um, that's how we got here. 
I, I think one of the things that's also so much fun for us is, is not even the myths, but just these indigenous, various indigenous people of the Americas. I mean, when you're talking about the Aztec or the Maya or the Incans or our own Native American, you know, uh, tribal nations, Indians, North, South, mm -hmm. everyone, you know, here loves them. And they're also very mysterious, you know, and mm -hmm. there there's just haven't been any games that really explore that space a lot. I mean, you'll see Aztec models every once in a while, but no one goes down the, the road of understanding, you know, exactly how these people uh, live. But more importantly, how they how they had battle, how they combated each other. And then when you bring in that each uh, indigenous factions, mythical monsters, it's just such a rich, rich um, environment to work with. Yeah. And yeah. fun. Everybody's really enjoying it. I mean, I, I think, Brad, this is, for me, it's a highly personal thing in a, in a way, because I, I grew up, like I said, I, I grew up in Venezuela. My mother, my grandmother on my father's side is was from indigenous origin, 100%. And so I, I'm lucky enough to have grown up in a, in a household with a lot of non-Catholic mythology, as mm -hmm. it were. Um, so a mixture of both, right? So we all grew up Catholic, but we grew up with what I guess nowadays I, in, in the States is uh, maybe it's got some, uh, the term here that we use is Santeria, which is, you know, kind mm -hmm. of a mixture of, of, uh, Catholic beliefs with, uh, African and, and, you know, um, native gods and, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that was kind of my background as a kid. Um, I mean, I, I remember as a kid growing up when I spent, I used to spend, uh, summers in a farm in, in, uh, on the border between Venezuela and, uh, Colombia. And, um, this is this will tell you how old we are. So this farm, there was literally an outhouse, right? Mm -hmm. So you had to go to the outhouse, and when you were the little one, all your cousins would tell you that La, La Llorona would get you on the way to the bathroom, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you know, if you're familiar with La Llorona, she's a sort of a kind of a banshee, really. That's what she is, right? So yeah. you'd be terrified <laughs> trying to get out to the bathroom. So and then you sort of grow up with these incredible mythologies that when I came up to the States, I'm like, well, it's almost like somebody the movie ended and, and all the characters in that movie I didn't get to see again so many years later. So that was my background for for like wanting to like really bring this to the fore. And then Chris jumped all over it. He's like, oh, my God. I mean, then he he brought up things like, you know, uh, the Wendigo and, and all these mm -hmm. other, uh, you know, in Jersey, it's the Jersey Devil, it right? Is. which is. Oh, it's awesome, right? That's a freaking horse-headed, mm -hmm. bat-wing, you know, uh, deer-antlered, yes. you know, creature. It's like freaking insane. Um, so that you know, with all of that background, I, I think it feels nowadays it just feels natural um, to to kind of when we sit there and we we pull out the models and we're like, wow, this this is really the mythology that we we here in the states and in South America, Central America that we're growing up with and. It would be a fun way to um, my job. I think you know, my only sort of real job uh, that I think if I could do this as a you know just from a personal point of view, mm -hmm. uh, I would I would feel very successful. Like if I could with this book working with Chris and the Silverbacks and Warlord, if I could um, half the book give you an itch, like a mental itch mm -hmm. to want to look further into. Incas and Maya and Aztecs, but not like the cliche stuff, you know, right. the nations 
like not the stuff that, you know, the kind of generalization stuff. These are incredible cultures, right? I mean, right. I get very passionate about it uh, because it's just, I think they've been overlooked by so many people because, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know why. It's, I don't even get into sort of cultural theories right. as to why that was, right? But at the end of the day, they're incredibly rich. So my job is to give you an itch, not a rash, an itch right. that you want to just scratch by doing a little more research. Um, uh, and so that's, that's really, I think what that game, and then of course you're, you're, you're having a good time playing the game and you learn something about some incredible cultures. I think what you guys have done is really amazing. I mean, the whole purpose of Warlords of Erewhon, I mean, Rick's, uh, the purpose for that game, besides being a fun retirement project is to create a game that will allow you to pull any toy out of your toy box for your fantasy game. But even then, some of us have written sci-fi lists to, to use old sci-fi models. But it's to be able mm -hmm. to use and field all of those unloved models from old game systems, pull them out, and play with them. Or use models that you're currently using for other game systems and put them on the table and play with them. And it's, it's, that, it's the ultimate open sandbox game, especially when he published the point values for all of the, the, the rules and the stats of the game. So you can literally create your own army lists uh, or units to go with other army lists if he hasn't provided the, the unit that matches the models that you own. But Warlords of Erewhon, of course, if you reverse it, is Warlords of Nowhere. And that's, um, that is, sorry, no one. And that, that's literally the point. It's, um, it's, it's nothing. If there was a criticism of the game, some people said they want, they want that background, they want that lore. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. you guys have done that. You've taken, as you said, untrod ground really in the gaming world, and you are taking just these rich stories from cultures that go back hundreds, thousands of years, and you've pulled it into uh, this wonderful game that as you say is balanced and it has been play tested and is run through and you've added all of those elements and now presto you have in my opinion the 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 formula for a great game now i i can't wait for this to come out to play it myself um but let's talk a little bit about specific though mythic americas is the game setting clearly is in north america it, or South America. It's the Americas, I should say. And we have four main factions in the game. And that will give people a taste for um, the universe. And that is, we have Aztecs, we have Maya, we have Incas, and we have the tribal nations, Native Americans, that we, as we would refer to them in uh, North America. Now, guys, give us an overall sales pitch, uh, elevator speech for the universe of mythic americas beyond the very broad generalization that i've thrown out at you chris do you want to start well it's it, it's interesting that um what we ended up doing is that nelson had already had this uh, this universe created beyond mm. just the the americas uh he had a whole fluff background um, that he had nurtured for many, many years, mm -hmm. well before what we were doing. And, and we can ask him and he'll go off and he'll talk about that for a very long time, but it's <laughs> <Days>. fascinating. <laughs> it is. And, and, and he used to talk to me about these things. And when we finally 
um, found this vehicle, right? So thinking of Warlords of Erewhon as a, as a game mechanic, mm-hmm. right? So that's the, Nelson's job has always been, I'm going to throw this fluff at you and I'm going to throw these creative ideas at you. And then my job was then to say, okay, now how are we going to take all that and overlay it with the Warlords of Erewhon core rule set and still keep the uniqueness mm-hmm. of this, of the Americas together. And it's kind of hard for me to talk about it without Nelson actually giving a brief, <clears throat> brief discussion of the fluff. <laughs> so that, okay. <laughs> happy to do because that. Because then, <laughs> well, I think you need it. I think you have to understand yeah. the way and everything that supports the way. Now give uh, an elevator speech of the way. Uh, a very long <laughs> elevator ride, right? So I'm going to try to make it a 20-story elevator ride nice. instead of 2,000 stories. I, look, bottom line is there's a couple of things to keep in mind when you're doing something like this. Um, first off, if you remember my background is is that I do have a connection to to at least, you know, the, the this culture, right? So, mm-hmm. or some of these cultures from the point of view of uh, my, my uh, upbringing. Uh, so I'm sensitive to making sure that we're not treading uh, in places where we shouldn't be, right? And things right. that we shouldn't touch. And, and so I'm very, very sensitive to that. And, you know, and, and so is Chris and everybody in the group is. So, but but I still, but I do, the the, the initial um, uh, idea and notion is still the same. I, I want to, to create that itch for everybody to learn and appreciate and really grow to love and respect these cultures. And, and uh, I, I think that could only lead to good things, right? So- Exactly. In order to do this, um, I felt like we we needed. I, I mean, you know, ten years ago, I felt like we needed. I needed some kind of uh, theater of the mind place to put these actors in. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so that we we weren't using uh, a religious motif. We weren't using a, uh, a specific religion or a specific belief. We were simply pulling interesting characters, interesting historical. Uh, groups, interesting, uh, his, you, know, uh, you know, all of these mythologies are interesting, by the way. There's not a single one that I go, well, that's passe. I've, I've seen that before, right? right. Um, <laughs> and, and exploring them in, in a different kind of way. So the way we did that was uh, by creating this, um, this notion. And, and you also have to keep in mind that my sort of thinking on this is um, that it's going to go beyond the Americas, but we can talk about that um, you know, uh, a little further down, but oh, yeah. the idea of setting this theater where these players could play had to have some kind of background, some kind of understanding, something that felt universal to us today, but still allowed for these ancient peoples, ancient mythologies to to uh, to feel like they fit within that space, right? So mm. the concept of balance is at the core of what this game is about, right? So balance between life and death, balance between all of us and life on on Earth, and mm-hmm. between chaos and you know uh, non chaos, that kind of stuff, with the chaos of change and all those things. So balance was was kind of a key component to the background, to the fluff. And then there's a controlling force to those balance, which is the one. The one is this entity. Let's just call it the one is everything and 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 all. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not God per se, but it's just existence and the universe. And we can go deep into the one, but Let's just say this, the, the one is is kind of the, if there is a religious feeling to this at all, it's this idea of an overall controlling uh, entity that controls the, all of the universes and multiverses and this universe and this mm-hmm. earth and everything, but it's not, right? So that, the one, 
with the balance leads to how do you live in a balanced way by following the way and the way is kind of the the literally literally that the way to live within this to achieve this balance mm-hmm. and then all balances need two sides right by you know, in the simplest forms right uh, and so the two sides that I felt were were kind of key to the story was one that had to do with chaos and change and constant change, natural change, right? Um, that's throughout the universe. And, and so that we call the ever-changing. Mm-hmm. And that's a, really, that's a faction, an umbrella. Uh, it's not a faction, but it's really an alignment that allows for us to say, uh, there's a way to follow the way to mm-hmm. reach balance that is really within this realm of constant change, you know? Uh, and then the other one is the ever living and the ever living as the name would suggest really deals with the nurturing of life, whatever that life may be, you know, it doesn't have to be human life. It's just all life, not just on earth, but just all sentient, you know, thinking, feeling, soul possessing creatures. And that, that goes down to the last, the smallest microbe, right? right. So those are your big, big, big umbrella players within this background. Then now you can start inserting uh, factions. You pretty much insert any faction at any time in you know of any time period within this this concept, uh, and so that's what we sort of put uh, as an overlay onto the game. So uh, it's really important to understand that in this game there are two key components. There's no good or evil. Those are those are things that any of these factions, ever living or ever changing can do evil things or can do good things but there's right. no one side that's good there's no one side that's evil right in the way we sort of all grown up with the rebels in the galactic empire right it's, <laughs> right it's it's like it's everyone has the potential of being good or evil so there's no side you know when you play the game you're if you play an aztec you can play ever living or you can play ever changing it doesn't mean that you're good or you're or you're bad it's just, that it's just it's that's very important to us because i think that's another one of those things that allows us to get out of those tropes of like kind of the Western way of looking at native cultures where, mm-hmm. you know, if they sacrifice a bunch of human beings from kind of our cultural point of view, that sounds like an evil thing to do. But for Aztecs, that wasn't an evil thing to do at all. It was just simply the way to not get destroyed by, you know, the dark forces of the universe mm-hmm. as they sell it. Right. I mean, literally that's one of the reasons they sacrificed human beings. Right. Uh, because they thought they were fighting this, you know, a force that would take over, and destroy humanity in essence. I'm simplifying, but right. um, <clears throat> so that that's kind of your background. Again, it could, I, I, I can go for hours and, and bore everybody to death. <laughs> well, but, my my literally my, my next question is something that you kind of just answered, but let's let's dig in and elaborate. Um, and I'll let you and Chris ping pong back and forth on this, Nelson. But um, you talked about how Aztecs, for example, could be ever living or ever changing. How does um, how do those alignments then sort of slot into the factions um, that allow for or cause sort of differentiation in both gameplay and maybe army listing? How does how does yeah. that play out on yeah. the tabletop? Because this sounds like a a crucial element. How does that Definitely. actually? Absolutely is. Absolutely is, Brad. And part of it, you know, I knew how important uh, this concept of ever living and ever changing was to Nelson and the fluff and the background. Mm. And one of the challenges that we faced, you know, the whole team, when you're trying to take Warlords of Erewhon as a game mechanic is to say, all right, now, how do we inject this 
this dichotomy, this, this ever living, ever changing uh, into the game. Right. And um, we, we did that by adding essentially overlays onto Warlords of Erewhon rule set as it exists. So the game play is exactly the same as Warlords of Erewhon. We did nothing to change rules. Uh, we respected what Rick had done. And we respected the balance of the game. Um, where we thought we might be able to add more uh, was, first of all, in the scenarios, because the scenarios that are in the book are, are pretty straightforward. Right. And the idea of a win condition um, was very straightforward, on mostly on kill points. And what we started to think about was, boy, if there would be a way that we could, you know, make it a little more of a, a objective based game as opposed to just an armies clashing and kill point game. And so we, we became, we, we got really caught up in that and, and it ended up um, evolving into three different changes in the mechanics and then one change in the army building aspect of it. Mm. So from a mechanics uh, we replaced all the scenarios and we replaced them with what we call rituals of the way. Mm-hmm. And those rituals are essentially more uh, robust scenarios that actually have point scoring uh, win conditions within them. Nice. So so you sit down and you say, okay, um, Nelson and I are going to play a game. He's going to be Aztecs. I'm going to be Nations. Let's decide what our scenario is. And you you try and make it random. It doesn't have to be, but you randomly pick a scenario. Okay, mm-hmm. now we know what we're what we're fighting for. But... On top of that, to add another element of objective play, we introduced what we call the devotions to the way. Now, this is when you start injecting the ever-living and ever-changing because there are actually eight different devotions for each side. So there's eight ever-living, eight ever-changing, and what those end up being are secondary objectives to the game. Nice. So uh, so you have this overall scenario the ritual that you're you both know what's going on you both know it's very open uh and now you have these secondary objectives where you get to choose one from a a group right you deal some they there are cards involved now you deal some you pick the one that that's appropriate for you you don't have to share it so now you have a secret secondary objective so now you have these multiple avenues for scoring points and the devotions are tied to the way. So when you're creating your army, you have to start thinking, all right, um, I prefer these objectives for the army list that I'm building. So I'm going to be ever living or I'm right. going to be ever changing. And the, the third overlay to the mechanics was what we call the blessings. And these are also driven by the uh, ever living or ever changing. So whatever alignment you choose, you're going to have these um blessings available to you and essentially the blessings you can think of them as 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 a hand of cards if you will mm-hmm. but you'll get six of them there are multiple ways to get these different cards some of them are specific to the to the um, box set some of them might be specific to monsters that you buy so mm-hmm. you can collect these cards but essentially you are going to pick six for your game and you are allowed to play one of those cards during a, a turn one and only one, and once you play it, it's gone. And they act kind of as cheats, right? They let you bend the rules while mm-hmm. you're playing. And so between you know the ritual, the devotions, the blessing, these are all reasons for why you might decide to choose ever-living or ever-changing. And then the last thing that we did was to 
make the spells very specific to the faction. So we recreated spells, and the spells are actually split between ever-living and ever-changing. So if you're ever-changing, you get a certain amount of spells for your Aztecs. If you're ever-living, you get others. And the, the intent... Uh, was to have reasons for army building differences, to have reasons for playability differences. Right. Um, and and at its very simplest form, you can look at the um, at the game of resources, right? Because all these mechanics have resources involved with them. Mm-hmm. And you look at the ever living, and most of the time, you look at them as a bolstering. Sometimes it's buffs. I mean, that's very open. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily always buffs. It's how do you bolster your troops' ever-living perspective. The other side of it is the ever-changing, which is how can we disrupt what's going on, whether it's disrupting the enemy's troops or disrupting the enemy's plans. Right. And those are the, the foundational mechanics that are kind of supporting that ever-living and ever-changing. So yeah. there's a lot going on. Sounds, uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I can... I can distill it into um, a kind of a simple. So, look, if you if you remember balance, so I we all think, you know, I think all of us on this call think that the the, the rule system for Warlords of Air One is a very balanced rule system, and I think that's a testament to Rick's brilliance, right? Agreed. So, if you if you believe that, as we do from experience, from having played the game a lot, right? Um, then and then that coincides with the fluff in the game, which is all about balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, which is a, a maybe a coincidence, maybe not. But the <laughs> idea that that maybe the idea that balance is important makes you think, like Chris said, if you make it just about victory points, kill points, it tends to. We all have played many different games. Uh, it tends to lead to uh, making very specific, very me- meta. Uh, based uh, uh, armies that are just designed to to you know maximize what the army is good for, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and it can make for a very frustrating game, right? So yes. one of the ways that one of the ways of doing that is to to uh, create uh, uh, add layers without creating complexity, and the way to do that uh, by is by trying to create a, a number of simple steps to follow that give you a primary objective, which is the uh, the uh, there's two sets of objectives, primary objectives and secondary objectives, right? Mm-hmm. And the balance of the way are the primary objectives. And those are universal objectives that uh, you, every player, both players are going are gonna to follow, right? So that, that balance of the way are kind of your just standard primary objective that you have to, cert, uh, cert, certain things that you have to achieve within that objective. Then there are devotions to the way, which are secondary but they're there's and they're different for each player and they're randomized, right? And this is kind of key because if you remember at the beginning of this game, you don't know what side you're going to be under alignment because you pick ever living or ever changing randomly. Right. So, so if you pick, if you don't know what side you're going to be playing, you don't know what uh, main primary objective you're going to be playing, and you don't know what the combination of the secondary objective you're going to be playing. You're going to be, by the most part, discouraged. And we've experienced this through playtesting. From trying to build an all-conquering you know, conquering army, you have to build a more balanced army that will have to deal with three different possibilities, which when you mo- mo- you're a teacher, so you know that when you start multiplying these together, you're your chances of, of, of being able to nail the specific army that's going to nail the meta that for mm-hmm. all the possible combinations. 
get harder, right? Oh, yeah. And then the final sort of cherry on that ice cream is this what uh, Chris mentioned as the blessings of the way, which are really, like he said, cheats, small cheats. You get to use one per turn, but it may just get you out of trouble. And those are specific to the way that you decide to play, right? So if you have, if not decide, but that you're you're given to by the one, uh, by the roll of a dice or the pick of an owner dice out of the bag. Uh, and those are the blessings of the way. And so with these four elements, and I, I know it sounds uh, like a lot of stuff, but it's not because it, the other thing that we've added to the game is cards, cards and tokens. Mm -hmm. That When you get the starter set, you're going to get a set of cards. The cards are going to be the balance of the way primary objectives. You're going to have the devotions of the way cards, and you're going to have the blessings of the way cards. So you'll have a hand that really sort of lays it out in front of your eyes what it is that you're supposed to be doing throughout the duration of the game. So it's fairly intuitive once you start playing the game. Um, so that structure is, those are the pillars. If so, uh, the game has really taken those awesome foundational rules and then added what we think is a great sort of much more strategic, you know, uh, portion to this game. So you'll see the, the, the scenarios are a good chunk of the book because we think it's important to make it a much more strategic uh, kind of mind-bending uh, game that you really have to think about yeah. right down to the armies that you put together. Well, I, I'm loving the sound of this. As, as I said, um, maybe I just said it before we started off air, but in 2019, I think I played more Warlords of Erewhon than literally any other game. And having played a lot of it, um, and I'm unapologetic. I love the game system. I love everything about it. But there aren't a lot of scenarios in that game. And so I've played all of the scenarios in that book several times at this point. And I'm a scenario guy. I like, I like my narrative. I love playing out situations on the tabletop. It really helps to... Um, I get lost in the immersion of it. I really enjoy it. And for that game, you need to have sort of open-ended scenarios because you don't know what you're putting down on the tabletop because of the nature of the game. It is that open sandbox game. But what I love with what you have is you've narrowed it down given that you have specific factions and you have, um, you have this universe that you're putting the game into. <clears throat> but more to the point, <clears throat> with primary and secondary objectives, you really are increasing the replayability of those scenarios by adding different elements. Yeah. You can play the yeah. same scenario again and again, even yeah. though the primary uh, objectives may be similar or the same. By adding secondary objectives, you really are changing the way those scenarios are played out. And it, it really does both add to the narrative on the tabletop and the cinematics, but you're also adding to the replayability and the differentiation between games. That's exactly yes. right. And, and one of the things that I, I really enjoy about playing the Mythic America version is that, I mean, if you've played the Warlords of Werewolf as much as you say, you know how bloody it is. I mean, when units oh, yeah. meet, it's rare that many survive, and you're mm -hmm. certainly rare that you're going to survive more than one or two. And when you're playing with these objectives, now all of a sudden you could lose your entire army and still win the game. And I love the fact that you have that option, that it's not all about who you kill or how many you kill. It's about getting those victory points through the objectives. Exactly. It just makes for a, a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, variability. 
But it's, it also lets us write new primary and secondary objectives. And mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. as, as you go through, you know, the game, even the initial factions, uh, and there's going to be eight total factions within Mythic Americas. Um, so, and we can we can tease some of those. Oh yeah. But when you when you get into when you get into the game, the monstrosities will bring in their own blessings. Right. So mm -hmm. if you think about monstrosities in this game, so we we're all familiar with if we're if we're not familiar with Warlords of Erewhon, uh, you know, you have your your warrior sized troop, you know, basically humanoid human sized troop. Right. Then you have beasts, you have swarms, you have monsters, you have monstrosities. You you know, in the original game, you had uh, uh, you have uh, chariots and then you have artillery. Right. right. Um, so in 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 this game. Our monstrosities are not just random monsters from the woods, right? They're mythological creatures that have a lot of power within the mythology of these various factions. So we thought it was, well, it just makes sense if the if 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 an Ayar, which is a corpse-throwing Aztec, you know, uh, creature from the from you know, raised by from a bunch of dead things on a battlefield, is uh, this big spiritual beastie is on the on the field. I'm, we're guessing that he's going to have some kind of benefit to the to the faction that he's uh, fighting on. So right. each monstrosity will come with its own blessing. So now, as the game progresses, we'll be able to publish different scenarios, primary and secondary. So you know, uh, different balance of the ways, different devotions of the ways, and different blessings, and really make sure that when you show up to the table, uh, you better show up with the force that can handle fighting under one of these alignments. And also whatever the one throws your way on the table, right? Uh, and that's that. That's kind of that's that's. I love that aspect of the game uh, because the rules. We didn't have to mess with the rules. There's a couple of things that we did uh, modify in within the rule system. And Chris can talk a little bit. But we're talking about clarifications. We all, the other thing we should mm -hmm. say is we took all of the FAQs that Rick uh, mm -hmm. has had put together uh, until, you know, the, the final uh, moment that we sent this book to printers and included them in the book. Brilliant. So you can pick up this version of Warlords of Erewhon and literally play uh, uh, your Warlords of Erewhon. It will have all the FAQs and it will have all the, all the sort of tweaks that needed to get done, the cleanup of the rules. Mm -hmm. And by that, and I don't mean that as a criticism, I just mean that there was some there were places where there was some confusion um, and there were some things that the community had discussed, like shooting through your own guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's something that we felt needed to be clarified. And so we did that in the book. Um, Brilliant. And that we did remove certain sections from the original Warlord of Air One's um, book, but we are including those and we will, for the time of release, you'll be able to pull those out of our, as a PDF form, out of our website. So when oh, you go to really? mythicamericas.com, you'll be able to download the two sections. And they're, they're, they're sort of, they're three, well, they're in essence three sections, right? And I don't, Chris, do you want to talk about the three sections we pulled out? I don't want to keep I hope I, can, I hope I hope I can remember the three sections. Well, I, I'm quite sure that one of them was the artillery stuff mm -hmm. um, yep. and for obvious reasons, right? Um, that's not to say that, you know, the old conquistadors may show up at some point and probably bring cannons with them. But for now, um, the, the idea of artillery and black powder is really not available to the Americas. At uh, this we state. also, at this, at this point, mm, um, right. loving the hinting gentlemen. Yep. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the, uh, the other thing is chariots. Um, at this point, chariots were not appropriate. And it has nothing to do with really whether the, the quality of the rules. It was just a matter of one trying to slim it down a little bit right. and, and taking out the things that weren't appropriate for this era. Um, again, any, all of these things may or probably will show up again. But for now, that's uh, what, what, what part am I missing, Nelson? You said three. You're, so the magic spells. So we took, so uh, uh, yeah. uh, Chris spoke about the, uh, the magic spells. So there are mm -hmm. two. So if you think about the, so uh, Rick gave us a book that allows you to do a lot of amazing, cool things with it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you even talked about doing some of your own kind of space-based or sci-fi-based lists, exactly. right? So what we decided was like, okay, there's a couple of things in here that if we distill it to the core rules and we don't mess with the mechanics or any of that good stuff because we all love it, right? Um, we need to pull some of the stuff out of here because we need to we need room to insert some of the uh, blessings of the way, devotions of the way, uh, you know, uh, balance of the way concepts into this book, right? So we can't have it all, and right. and some of these things didn't feel appropriate, like canons, you know, with Aztecs until you know maybe the conquistadors show up mm -hmm. and bring it all, right? So how do you bring this back? So right now you just download the PDF from our website and you'll have a, the, literally the complete second edition book of Warlords of Era One, right? Because really? you'll have everything that you need as you would have the new book, including all the new material. But what we're doing is we're inserting those. If you look at some of those rules, especially the chariot, I'll, I'll give you an example. So we did keep um, the uh, terrain rules as uh, Rick had them. Right. But one of the things that we found out, and I'm going to use that as an example because you can do the same thing with the artillery rules, but um, we chose to keep the artillery rules to themselves as a PDF on the website. Um, the, if you look at the terrain rules, they're very detailed, right? They're super, super detailed. A lot of us players love that extra layer of detail. Mm -hmm. A lot of players don't. Yeah. So we asked a lot of folks about, if you ask 20 gamers, they'll give you 20 different versions. Of yes, they will. <laughs> they will, right? I mean, what, what you know, what's going to block line of sight? What moves, you know, uh, impedes movement, that kind of stuff. Well, so in the book, in the new book, in the sort of what we see as Warlords of Air 1 2.0, basically, is a the exact rules, have, you know, cleaned up a little bit from the original book, plus a simplified version, uh, a streamlined version, as we call it in the book, of the scenery rules. So that you can just get into a game, you get the basics. It's it's still fairly thorough, but it's not, you know, the five pages of uh, of that we have in the original book. You can choose to go with those original, you know, they're in the book, you can use them. Mm -hmm. But we are giving you a simpler version of the scenery. So it just slims it down, it, it makes it a little faster moving when you're setting up the table, right? So that's what it's, we're talking about. It, it's it's funny, Nelson, when you're talking about the scenario because we well, we, we were doing play testing and we did the play testing ourselves. I mean, we enjoyed playing the game. Mm -hmm. But some of the newer folks to the, I won't say tabletop miniatures, but to the army style of tabletop games really would not would have trouble with with the scenery you know and they they kept wanting to to put rules around how much scenery you're putting out let's mm -hmm. let's you know go back and forth about putting scenery in and the ones who are more veterans to you know the war uh, the the tabletop armies were kind of like well can't we just set it up and agree to it and then pick a side? You know, it, mm -hmm. it was just funny how that scenery until pretty much until publishing 
was always a point of contention uh, among the play testers. Um, and I, I think I think we got it right. You know, let's let's just simplify it. Keep the keep the complexities there if you want. Simplify it and still make it more of that that let's set up the scenery to something that's fun and thematic. And then we can, you know, pick sides so that there's no advantage. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we we have been talking an awful lot about the similarities and differences between the games. So I'm going to jump in here with a couple of uh, questions slash observations about your version versus the original. Now, in Warlords, multiple order dice monsters some monstrosities can have two to three order dice and uh as part of their profile and they have multiple so they can activate multiple times during a turn and that can make them as a result fairly powerful and uh very influential in how games are played out now war machines are often a way to counter those now i've noticed for example as you just said that war machines and chariots are not going to be part of the starting factions um in mythic americas but i've I've also heard rumors that um multiple order dice monsters are not as big a part of the game per se as they may have been in the original um how how accurate is that statement? And is that because without the war machines, you don't have the direct counter? I mean, I know often a good way to get da- get rid of those isn't war machines from lots of gameplay, but I know that that is a particular counter that some people see. Um, Chris, did you want to field that one? Sure. Um, I, I think the idea of monstrosities was a challenge for us, mainly because we didn't, um, we didn't want to bring monsters in and have them just crush everything that they face. Right. Um, and we toyed with a lot of different uh, solutions to that, toyed with the ideas of changing rules. When the dust settled on that, we kept the rules exactly as they are. It was nice that Rick had uh, presented that change to the monster table. Right. For the res above 11, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, which we did inject into our rules and, and embraced. Um, and we also like the idea of of the degrading monster over time. Right. Um, to that end, we have some MOD uh, units out there. Interestingly enough, they're not all monsters. That's right. Uh, I'll, I'll let you chew on that a little bit. Mm. Um, and. So the monstrosities that are MOD, well, I should say across the board, the way we handled monsters was much more around the theme. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this monster supposed to represent in the faction that it belongs to? Uh, because the monsters aren't just, you know, swap them around like the the nations have a Wendigo. That is a nation's monster. You know, right. the Aztecs have the IR and the Quetzalcoatl. Um, and... The, I think the trick to, to making it playable was to not make them unkillable by, you know, regular units. And, and to be fair, um, the regular units, if, if a unit can swing a Makawahuidal, right, mm-hmm. which were the ancient weapons with the, um, the, the essentially, uh, what's the glass called? Um, that's Obsidian? It, that's, Obsidian, right, which is yep. super sharp and used to cut through the conquistador armor. 
right? So, so you know these this these weapons have an SV value that's going to be detrimental to a monster. Oh yeah. Um, or or an lot, which is the thrown spear. You know that that was extremely um, uh, high velocity, could puncture conquistador armor, and also has a a very strong. SV value to it. So we, there are plenty of ways to take out a monster. None of our monsters are unkillable. Some of them are, are, will last on the table, but if they do last on the table, they're not going to be, uh, also dishing out a tremendous amount of, um, of wounds. Right. So we tried to balance it that way. Plus everything dies. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a volume of, of dice that's going to make a difference on whether you can take a monster out. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily your SV. Um, you know, you throw enough dice, eventually you're going to hit tens. Um, my goblin so, army agrees, by the way. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's and right. I, I, Nelson and I played a recent game, um, where we had Kamazots on the table Right, Kamazot's the the dark lord essentially of the of the bat monsters that are out there, and uh, he just rolled poorly against the like the, uh, an objective uh, piece and took enough wounds that he was he couldn't fly and he couldn't Chris move. Being, and it was just super polite, dude. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Brad, there was, there, in the in the game, there's an objective that you know, brings up these creatures. You know, they can be, and we we Chris and I decided that they were kittens, literally. Just, you know, they came up. You know, these spirit creatures that came up in the objective. So I, thinking I was being a really smart person, sent my giant dark lord Kamazots over to handle this objective, uh, because in this particular scenario, the he could he could. As a flyer, I thought, well, this would be great. I'll just sit on this objective and start collecting victory points. Except these two little kittens decided to just absolutely destroy my gigantic monstrosity. <laughs> and uh, I ended up limping back away from the thing before I can get totally killed with one <laughs> movement and uh, just, you know, a broken wing. And literally just bare. I mean, it was laughable how bad this monstrosity got beat up Brilliant. by two kittens. Um, so <laughs> the monstrosities, yeah, I, I think. 50% of the monstrosities have uh, MOD. Um, right. So not, not all of them do. Some of them do. And uh, and like Chris said, there are some non-monstrosity units with MOD. So it's, um, I, I think we've done a nice job. The guys, the team has done a nice job of, of negating any issues there, making them a lot more. You want to, they, they bring a lot more uh, to the table than just muscle, I guess is the best way to say it. Okay. Well, yes, and and yep. we also uh, that's where we did introduce uh, new special rules. That's one thing we did take liberties with, is to in, in, inject special rules that seem to support the flavor for us. So you know, when you're fighting an AR, which is supposed to be a tar pit, right? How do you handle? How do you even deal with a tar pit in the Warlords of Erewhon? Because every battle ends with your units separating. Right. right. So there's there's no way that you can keep somebody stuck in with your. So what we did was provide a special rule, for example, for the AR, where if if you're within a, a range of his aura, you have to make a command check not to charge him. Right. So it's mm -hmm. it's just one way that now does it go off much? Well, probably not. You get a couple pins on you. 
and you might be charged an AIR when you don't really want to. So it definitely shifts right. your strategy because if, if that AR is right in the middle of the battlefield, now all your units have to at least consider the fact that they may not be doing what you expect them to do, right? You, you pull that order dice, right. you want to set it down and, and charge something, but maybe it's not the AR. So we, we tried to come up with some really fun rules that would support the monstrosities. And they're not all high res. I mean, they're not all like 11s and 12s. So they're they're very killable. Nice. Um, as so, as a game, from a game player, as someone who plays Warlords a lot, that's great to hear. Um, I lo- as I said, love Warlords. But sometimes chewing through some of those high res monsters or high res units um, can be challenging without particular tools. Right. And it's great to see that right. you've accounted for that. And, and, you know, you want, I mean, it's a dice game, right? You want to have right. the, the randomness. So the fact that Kamazats could get mauled by the kittens was hilarious. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the strategy that Nelson was planning. But, you know, sometimes your monsters get lucky and they'll chew through a lot of stuff, and that's what they should do. Exactly. Sometimes they get unlucky and they die. Mm-hmm. They only have it, one wound. Everything has one wound, right? And so, and there's no one. Mo- and I and I I can attest to this because I've tried with these monstrosities, right? There is no monstrosity that's just going to come in, smash face, and then you're going to sit there and laugh with your evil laugh because <laughs> you just won the game, right? <laughs> and there's no monstrosity. Laugh, yeah, yeah it's like you're like, ah, I destroyed you with my whatever, right? No, no, there's you really have to be. They are monstrosities are heavy hitters they could be magic wielders they they can be like i said corpse throwing mm-hmm. monstrosities that are just absolutely abhorrent to fight against but very few of them are simply muscle that are gonna you know run in and decimate a unit you have to be very careful and strategic in how you use them they're mm-hmm. still don't get me wrong they're still monstrosities right they're still okay. they're, you know there's still these giant models on the table that are, that are pretty intimidating but you can't just go around thinking I'm just whatever this thing's just gonna you know mow right through your units because it's not gonna be that way, um, right? And and when you think you, you know when we talk about taking out war machines that that may be true, but the fact that the AR is throwing corpses is pretty much the same thing as a stone thrower, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean it's 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 using the same rules, so um, it's just a it's just a more fun idea than a regular stone throw. Those corpses can, they can kill you. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> they can, they certainly can. <laughs> and cannons aren't gone forever, that, that I can tell you. That is mm-hmm. right. Well, let's, okay. let's get into uh, some specifics because okay. I, I absolutely know that people are gonna be really angry if we don't talk about the factions. So um, let's talk a little bit about the four basic factions slash army lists that exist in the in the beginning book. Now you you have said that there are more coming. There are up to eight, um, either in the works or having been developed. Let's talk about the first four because we've mentioned it a couple times. But let's dig in with a little bit more rigor, shall we? Let Let's talk Aztecs. Now the Aztecs are fascinating in that right off the bat when looking at the Warlord's site and looking at the models for this, I'm getting a very heavy undead feel for this force, which is really cool because it's not only undead, you have a living component as well. Um, Nelson, do you want to start talking about the Aztecs and how they've come together as a faction? 
Yeah, I think it was. Uh, so for us, the Aztecs is a really interesting recycling story, right? Um, so if you look at if you look at Aztec history, right, we all think that the, the conquistadors showed up and these Aztecs were doing horrible things on top of these uh, temples, or that's mm -hmm. the that's what people think of, right? Well, it's a really, really, really complex history as to why sacrifices were were made in a lot of these Mesoamerica uh, cultures or or South American cultures. You know, the Incas you know, were famous for sacrifices, the Aztecs, a lot of these cultures were running human sacrifices. And let's be clear, they're human sacrifices. But it was it was a portion of their religious beliefs or, and or you know, and, and a lot of it had to do with survival, you know, bringing the rains or keeping away the dark forces, that kind of stuff, right? So in our in in doing the research and looking at, at you know the the uh, the sacrificial aspect of these of these uh, uh, factions, especially the Aztecs, uh, remember that there's no good or evil for us in these in these forces, and in, in in as we're using games, right? So we're not you're not going to pick an evil force, and you know you can do some pretty evil things on the table but you can't you can't uh, pick an evil whatever right? right so there's no clearly evil force so the aztecs for us were really fascinating in that they have access to based on their history uh, this fascination with death as being really at the core of a lot of what they did from a from a cultural point of view we thought you know um it seems sort of interesting that um the Aztecs have have all of these sacrifice victims at the foot of these temples. Wouldn't it be interesting if you know there's a whole unknown part of their history that we just haven't discovered in some jungle and you know, and in, uh, in Mexico or the lower Yucatan or something, and mm -hmm. and it's um, that they actually there was necromancers in a way, as we would call them today, that they 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 were enthralled by this idea of death magics or death. Uh, incantations or death, you know, uh, powers uh, to to supplement, you know, some of the issues, some of the forces, some of the troops that they needed. And so, you know, in came the idea of these high priests bringing back these sacrificial victims um, to to fight for their side. Right. So if you if you have an Aztec force, you can run, I guess what you and I would call, you know, today zombies. We, we call them uh, bound on dead. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're always led by a living uh, priest, a mm -hmm. living leader. So that every unit might have a, some bound on dead, except the bound marauders who are like monster-sized undead creatures, um, which are pretty awesome, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. It's just as models, but in the game, they're pretty awesome. Uh, but you could also run an Aztec army uh, warband with uh, uh, jaguar warriors and... Eagle Warriors, they have a unit, uh, uh, some units, um, uh, one of my favorite units is the Spider Sisters, which are magic users, really kind of, they're sort of like possessed uh, female, and, and their back history is that they're, they're in essence um, uh, upper ruling class uh, females, uh, they all, they're all sisters. Uh, that have been possessed by some dark element from from the nether regions of the Aztec culture, right? The, um, they're really disgusting, but they're magic wielders, right? So you can have an Aztec force that um, that has a very heavy undead theme if you wanted to, um, or you could have a, a mixed force that has lots of undead troops with some awesome, really good hand-to-hand -hand, uh, troops, monstrosities, 
and, um, and, and can it really sort of balance it that way? But that's why I think the Aztecs have, that's their flavor, right? So if you wanted to pick a flavor, um, the Aztecs are going to be very adept at reusing troops that have died or sacrifices that have died on the battlefield. And they have some terrifying monstrosities as part of their, I mean, you've mentioned um, the sisters, the spider sisters, yep. which are terrifying looking models, but the oxyodal and the IR, um, pronounce, uh, per, uh, forgive my pronunciation. Yeah, sorry. Yep. It, they uh, just absolutely amazing looking. Now, of course, these are based on, you know, real uh, myths. They aren't created by you. Um, but they are to see them in an, in a model on the warlord website. I mean, they are dynamic and colorful and terrifying, honestly, um, in a really cool and interesting way. The IR in particular actually looks like it's about to, uh, throw undead parts at you, uh, slash bodies at you. It is truly amazing. I think you guys have done a really good job of capturing, uh, the, what it would be like to actually see one of those, uh, which is something that, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't get that terrifying feel looking at a model on a tabletop, but it is the Aztec faction is properly scary and cool at the same time. <clears throat> Hint, and, I may and, be interested in them. Mm. Yeah. I, I love I mean, And actually Chris and I are doing, we're going to be doing some battle reports. And so we're, we're in the midst of painting our two personal armies and mm -hmm. he's doing the tribal nations and I'm doing the, uh, the Aztecs. One of the things to keep in mind is, so two, two things just as points of interest. So Quetzalcoatls are like uh, the conversation that we had about scenery, mm -hmm. uh, that everybody has an opinion on scenery. Well, everybody has an opinion on what, on what a Quetzalcoatl should look like, right? right. So, so for us, you know, Quetzalcoatls were, were part of Maya culture and also Aztec culture. So this is an interpretation of a Quetzalcoatl. We actually plan to uh, bring out different interpretations of the Quetzalcoatl specifically. Oh, cool. Um, because, you know, right now he's, the, the way we've modeled him, he's awesome and he's great. But there are other uh, ways that the various cultures looked at how Quetzalcoatl can present themselves on, on Earth. So we thought it'd be really cool to bring in some, some uh, different interpretations of what that model looked like. The IR is, in essence, almost a pure Mythic America's creation, okay. right? In the sense that um, there is background about, you know, um, these sort of very dark, uh, and if you look into Aztec, uh, the, so the afterlife and hell, their version of hell, I mean, you will be blown away by the cool stories and the cool things that go on down there. So, so Aztecs have all kinds of amazing demons. I mean, they, they have black goblins, these sort of dark, spirits and they have they have dwarves by the way they they do have you know hellish dwarves i guess what they would be the old chaos dwarves from the olden days right oh yeah so uh yeah it's awesome but the and, and the ir is a creature of mythic americas in 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 its interpretation and we just thought it would be the amalgamation the the pinnacle of some of these high priests creation you know if they can bring up these these sacrifices back to the battlefield it'd be really awesome if one of them or two or a few of them could bring up uh, these uh, kind of corpses amalgamated into one terrifying creature. It is a corpse throwing beast. That's mm -hmm. the best way I can describe it. Uh, walks around the battlefield. Um, it's a big slob of corpse parts <laughs> stitched together. <laughs> and to not an just people, not just human no. corpses either. Yeah, That's what it's animals, all, all kinds of stuff. It's pretty awesome. 
and it do, when it does hit, it's pretty devastating too. Um, so yeah, so monstrosities are a big part of actually all the lists, but they they all have a flavor. Yeah, uh, and the Aztecs flavor is they're good in close combat. They're good. They have good numbers. They have some good monstrosities, really solid monstrosities. Their magic is really good too. I mean, they're they're a really good all around. I mean, they're all good, but if you were yeah. going to start a, a, a war band that, um, I guess in the old way, that you felt might be an easier war band to master, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but this is sort of how I look at it from having played them all. Mm-hmm. I think the Aztecs would be in a, in right up there in, in kind of a very sturdy uh, a war band to run. Also, says so the I Aztec player. I, so. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I played a lot of I'm not at all. <laughs> well, that's just our, our game, our two gamers, right? right. But um, yeah. I, I, I actually did play probably more Aztecs than any other faction when we were doing the play testing. And um, one of the interesting things about um, Aztecs is that they do push the boundaries of some of the standard Warlords of Erewhon uh, rules. Mm-hmm. So... One way to look at Aztecs and the undead is that you know you can it's you can work it as a horde army that you're going to buff, right? Pretty right. straightforward strategy. But what what's a little out of the ordinary is that uh, the the Tlaxcan bound dead units can be fifteen uh, models strong, which is bigger than your average ten man unit. Oh yeah. Um, also. Also, you know, you have a high priest. That is your warlord. So, you know, the the warlord for the Aztecs is a, a, a priest that's going to be casting magic. But then you have the spider sisters, which can also cast magic, and you right. can have them right alongside. The Quetzalcoatl is a monstrosity that can cast magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to model your army around all magic, you can do that and have three casters out on the table at one time. It's uh, it's unique. Um, I don't think well, Incas are strong in magic as well, but the Aztecs have some very special uh, ways of of leveraging that magic. But of course, you know the spells that they're they're taking are specific to their faction. So that's a big change, by the way, for this version of the game. You, um, you know, we found that when we were when we were playing lots of Warlords of Erewhon, everybody used the same kind of spells yeah there were a lot of spells that were there that just nobody ever used right so Mm -hmm. they were like the meta spells uh and so we decided in this version that we were going to write spells that were really and we spent a lot and i I say we the guys really spent a lot of time thinking about these spells so that they were with the full flavor of the faction if you're a tribal nations your medicine man cannot in any way shape or form use a maya spell right there's no generic spell in that sense, so you, you, you know, the armies, the warbands are built specifically to everything in the warband supports what the warband does. Right. Um, so as um, well, as well as the ever living and ever changing aspect of the war. Right. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Well, gents, let's let's move on to my other personal favorite. Not to say that the other two I'm not super excited about. I just haven't seen the models for them. Um, let's talk about the tribal nations, the what uh, many people would call Native Americans or uh, American Indians, um, for those of us from the Canadian uh, American side of things. 
um, mm-hmm. sort of the Northern Americas, I should say. Um, now, they are a very different looking uh, force. We have Wendigo, um, there are Shaman, there are all sorts of different kinds of warriors, uh, Eagle Riders. Talk to us about this faction and how it plays differently from the Aztecs. Well, first of all, you're never allowed to say shaman because that was our, the term we first used when we were building oh, the God, medicine man. And our, and our resident, our resident uh, Indian expert, uh, Matt, who actually is part Native American, um, really dressed us down. And so it is, yes, it is the medicine man. Um, Thank you. Sorry. And he is the sole, <laughs> sorry. It's, and and uh, he is the sole magic user for, for, um, the nations he's the only one who's going to be casting um the the nations are are a little tougher to play i think because they're they're more of a hit and run type of an army uh you have to use the terrain to your advantage uh they have several tricks up their sleeve that allow you to use the terrain to your advantage so i first of all the entire um the entire army has woodsmen. So they're not going to be uh, obstructed by woods. Uh, and the medicine man himself can actually create woods. That's an innate spell that he gets uh, right out of the box without even paying for it. Um, and so you can already see that you can be, you're going to be leveraging those woods. I think that's part of why we used to get those uh, arguments about terrain setup in the beginning mm-hmm. of the game. Um, so you're using that to your advantage. You've got, you know, you've got your Seneca archers who are going to be shooting. You've got your Mohawks. We've introduced a new weapon, which is the Tomahawk. Um, actually, we've introduced a lot of new weapons uh, for the factions. Uh, mm-hmm. Aztecs have the Makawahuidal um, as well, um, which is the that extra, you know, the obsidian laden. Uh, sword that has a high SV value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nations have the tomahawk, and what makes the tomahawk fun is that it can be used as an exchange in the exchange of weapons, kind of like a spear. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so it's so you know, if you have a bunch of mohawks and they've got uh, you know, tomahawks and you're going in to fight them, uh, you know, they're going to be throwing tomahawks at you on the way in. Um, that being Which said, they hurt. Pretty hard. Which, which, mm-hmm. yes, which hurts. But that being said, the the nations are not armored. You know, they don't have a lot of armor. They never did, um, and so you know they're a little squishier. So you have to be careful. You have to you have to um, plan your charges or who is accepting charges from the enemy. Um, so you've got you've got a sachem. You know, who is your basic. Uh, Indian chief who's on foot. You've also have a version of him where he's riding a war eagle, which is a fabulous model. Oh, that's so, an awesome. Um, model. And and also changes the gameplay because now you've got uh, uh, this kind of flying striker, you know, who's got who can move about the uh, the battlefield at will and kind of get into those back lines if you choose. Um, and then there's also a beast element, which we thought was very thematic to the, to the nations where we have wolves, you know, which are, uh, a fast unit for, for, you know, taking out your, um, you know, your sides or, mm-hmm. or the eagles. And then of course, uh, of course, everyone's favorite, which is the Sasquatch. You oh, gotta yeah. have Bigfoot in there. 
and uh, and they're, they're they're a beefy unit. Um, they if if they come in and attack you, they are going to be uh, causing a lot of pain. Um, that being said, I mean they're not armored, so you can kill them and they go down. But if if you know they're also a little stronger on taking a charge, if you want to use them to kind of screen and and really uh, whittle down the force as it's coming in. And then you do have the Wendigo, probably my favorite model in the whole line. I just love the the look of him. Uh, and uh, he's also pretty nasty on the charge. I, I think part of what you want to think about with the nations is ambushing, leveraging the ambush rule, um, because they're a much more effective uh, fighting force when they're getting the charge. Yeah. That's true. Um, They're really good that way, dude. Really mm-hmm. good. Mm. And the Wendigo does have MOD, by the way. So, you know, you can set them up, put them in ambush, and still be able to run across the the battlefield. Nice. All right. Well, uh, that gives us a, a very good feeling for both the Aztecs versus the uh, tribal nations. Let's talk about, then, the other two factions, the ones that we haven't seen the models for. Uh, at least not through Warlord yet. Let's talk about the Mayans. Now, um, oftentimes, Mayans and Aztecs are confused uh, by a lot of people. Um, How do they play differently on the tabletop? And uh, obviously, they are very different groups of people with different cultures. How uh, in the warbands are they differently? Um, So the... Maya forces historically were known for their um, their regimented training and their their kind of grace in on the battlefield. And so uh, the one person, uh, actually, my good buddy Brian, did a lot of the design for the Maya, and uh, he really wanted to create an elite force. So. What you're going to get with the Maya, uh, and they're all uh, human except for uh, some few monsters, but um, they're also, that is where you're going to see some armor. You're going to see light armor and, excuse me a second, <coughs> I'm going to take a step. And they're going to come in with those Makawahu Eatles and they're going to be uh, very tough in a hand-to-hand situation. So you've got you've got a warlord, you've got a priestess who is casting magic. Most of it is is aggressive, right? So we're not looking at buffing magic. And um, and then one of the the scariest units actually in the game is the nobles for the the Mayans. So that was a very uh, esteemed position to be a noble in the Maya forces, and they were also the most trained. And they are nasty to fight. Um, and you know, they've got, so they've got standard warriors. They do have archers who can take the Adelot if they want to attack with that. That's a very nasty, uh, weapon to have thrown at you. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite different than a regular spear. And when you think of the history of that, you know, where they'd have those launchers in their hands to give it the extra force, um, the models are pretty cool. Too. Um, and then the, um, They've got some other uh, monsters. I'm not going to get into every one of them. We already mentioned Kamazots, the Dark Lord bat-like monster mm-hmm. who uh, fell to the kitty cats. But believe <laughs> me, he's he's usually a lot worse than that. Right. Um, so we like to think of the Mayans. They were they're one of our. They're they're expensive. They're elite. 
Um, and everyone, you have to use every point correctly and strategically. Um, but if you go into hand to hand with Mayans, they're normally going to come out on top. Now, I do want to dig into the Incas, but I want to take a couple of things you just said and sort of distill that into a quick question. Now, you have mentioned um, throughout that most of the entries for most of the lists in the book are human. They are generally human, and then there are uh, some supernatural creatures and some other unit types in there as well, like you mentioned wolves. But by having humans and by mentioning that the Maya can take um, light and medium armor, um, that sort of, I'm going to assume then that 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 armor in high res isn't something that you're going to see a ton of in this game. Is, is that an no. accurate question? Absolutely accurate. Uh, you're not going to see any armor on the nation. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you will see minimal armor on the um, Aztecs. I mm -hmm. mean, obviously the hulking zombie undead aren't armored. They're actually right. fairly flat, statistically speaking. That's not to say that a well-placed spell might not bump their res. Mm -hmm. but um, And then the Maya are the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, I don't think there's... Yeah, I guess you can give them medium armor now that I think about it. So yeah, they're going to be more armor. The Incas can have armor and they can have... And shields are you know, another way of bringing additional res to this. Correct. Right. Correct. So, you know, the Mayans, you want to think of them more of that, um, that elite higher res kind of a, a force but you're not going to get a lot for it you know you're not going to have a lot of bodies on the table now um, one of the things and, and you mentioned the dwarfs before brett and and um mm -hmm. i'm a dwarf player i'm a dwarf and a knight's player i guess right so mm -hmm. uh, in the original era one so um you love the the high res then yeah exactly so if you want to talk armor i that's that's my thing right and i think if if there was one thing about the game that i, I always wanted to change was that idea a little bit right mm -hmm. now the reason we don't concern ourselves too much about that is because the game is so much driven about with uh, about the, the scenarios and the victory conditions. So Chris made a comment, which is very true, at the beginning of this podcast. And in, 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 in some ways, you can lose your entire war band and still win the game, right? Because you, you've used your, your troops in a very strategic way to achieve those objectives, get to the most, the most points. And at that point, it doesn't really matter... They, you know, obviously it matters how resilient your troops are, but there are other ways of making them, um, there are other ways of making your troops more resilient, but mm -hmm. that's built into the faction itself, right. less so into the equipment of each particular unit. Because what happened is as we play tested and started adding units into the war bands, we realized that there's a trap in writing uh, uh, troops that are, you know, he and heavy armor or armor in a way is one of those things that can almost immediately skew your point costing of any particular individual model because right. in the wrong, even a small uh, difference in the wrong direction makes it for a very frustrating game for the other person Correct. to get through a bunch of dwarves, right? Uh, for example. So we tried to minimize some of what the particular individual model on the table, uh, you know, how he or she stacks up to another particular model on the table. 
so that it's more about the factions working together, the war bands, the units within the war bands working together to achieve the objective. That's where we spent a lot of our brilliant time and effort developing the game again with this like, sort of kooky idea in our back of our heads about balance. Mm -hmm. um, Love it. So, so that that's kind of the background for that. One one note on just a yeah, pet peeve of mine, as we talk about Maya, it's Maya. Um, when we talk about the culture, right? Mayan is the word for the language. Ah. Um, so when you speak about Maya, my, the, the word Maya is, a, is can be a singular uh, uh, plural, but a Mayan is, uh, in essence, an adjective, and it describes the language. So, but you could use Maya as an adjective as well. So Maya calendar or Maya astronomy, whatever, right? So Maya is the proper term for the culture, um, in plural and singular. And then Mayan is the term for the language. The language. I embarrassingly did not know that, and I'm sure I've been getting it wrong. I apologize. 99.9% of everybody and anyone would not know that. Um, and and frankly, it's hard not to say Mayan half the right? time because we're kind of, yeah. We're I used mean, to. We do yeah. it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So no, but uh, no, Maya are and, and Maya has some beautiful models. The the other thing is a lot of these factions. It's you can build um, like the tribal nations can have a very beasts creature heavy uh, uh, war band um, because they have. I mean, they have a medicine man, uh, Sakam on foot, and then they have the um, Mohawk warriors, mm -hmm. and then they have the Seneca warriors. But then they have eagles, they have wolves, they have Sasquatches, um, it's about a 50-50 breakdown on, on sort of non-human troops to human troops. Nice. Well, let's, let's, let's jump then to the Inca because they, of course, another iconic uh, race slash group of people uh, from South America, uh, history and lore. Let's, let's talk about them and how they differ then from the Aztecs and the Mayans. Or Ma ah, I just did it. The Maya. <laughs> so the the Incas <laughs> is my personal favorite, right? right. Just uh, maybe because I grew up, you know, on the foothills of the Andes. Mm -hmm. So um, the Incas are, in a way, more sophisticated. I don't know. It's a strange word to use for the war band, but they're very disciplined. Um, they have shield wall. Um, they're, they're good. They have some awesome spells. When I first, so I was, Chris tasked me in the beginning of this project to be kind of the, the, we had leaders for each, uh, faction, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so Chris said, you go do the Incas. I'm like, okay, I'll go do the Incas. Cause that's, you know, for all the reasons I just described. Right. So, um, you know, I came back with the Incas and they were good. Like mm -hmm. really good, like brokenly good, right? <laughs> it's so uh, everybody's like, "Oh my god, dude, you you just gotta tone that down." I mean, so they did, they toned it way down and balanced it again. But my most favorite thing about the Incas, I don't care if I could just play with one model and do one thing with the Incas, would be to cast the exploding alpaca spell. That would be the only thing I would want to do. Love it. So you can, you can cast. I knew you were spell. gonna say that. It's so freaking awesome. You can just cast these alpaca spirit alpacas out into the enemy and then they explode and they do these awesome things to you which you know from pins to kill things but mm -hmm. um it, it it is a very different war band it's first of all i don't think it's represented on the tabletop 
It's one of the least represented, I think, in any tabletop, the Incas. They don't get as much love as they should, and they're awesome. Um, they have, the models are gorgeous. There's, you know, you're going to see, uh, I think, some beautifully sculpted models um, for, you know, your basic troops. And, you know, but, and there's nothing basic about the Incas, but they're very, very, they're, mo they're more disciplined. They just, they feel, like I said, more sophisticated. I think Shield Wall also gives them a nice advantage on the battlefield uh and they have some really good buff spells that aid in their shooting don't you say uh, chris i mean i think in the beginning they were really they, they were too focused on shooting now they're much more balanced uh where they ended up but um good good all around much more disciplined warband than uh, than the rest of them i think it, it's got a more army-like feel to them than the and than any of the other True. warbands it's true. And I think that, you know, the shields are historically correct again, you know, so to have them have the option to, to, to form the shield wall is, is appropriate for the, for the army. And it makes for an interesting play because, you know, that shield wall is a great uh, mechanic, right? But it is also limiting, you know, and if you're looking at grabbing objectives and you're waiting till the late game to, rush over to something well you know you better not be in shield wall because you're not going to sprint right right <laughs> and uh so and, and i've watched that happen where you know i was playing someone and and they forgot about it you know and then they couldn't you know run and get that objective for the last point um yeah i i like that it, and i think it, it's a very balanced force in that it does have good ranged uh whether it's shooting whether it's magic um, they have those Aeolus Warriors, which is a, an interesting uh, new mechanic that we're introducing where, you know, they're essentially throwing bolos. And um, if you're hit by it, you don't really get hurt, but you slow down a lot. And um, also historically correct for the, for the faction. Well, guys, uh, I, I'm sorry to say we, we've been at this for an hour and a half. We should probably start wow. wrapping that said, God, I could talk about this all day. I'm loving it not only because I'm a Warlords uh, fan and uh, you know unrepentant about it, but this sounds amazing. This sounds like a whole new game. Just the universe, the level of depth. I want to go Google search half a dozen of the terms that you've used here, particularly around the weapons that I'm just not familiar with. I want to find out more about these obsidian uh daggers and axes i i don't even know which is why i want to find out but before we wrap i i, I would get things thrown at me if we hadn't if we don't talk about the future of the game and where it's going i know a lot of times when games come out people ask well is this is this sort of a side game is this one of those things that sort of fire and forget it comes out people grab it and then move on or is this going to be expanded upon? And you have hinted at this repeatedly already. There are more things coming. Talk to us about the future of Mythic Americas. Hmm. So here's the cool part. Remember in the beginning of this, uh, what feels like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about this notion of balance having to be a universal theme. Yes. Uh, well, there's a good reason for that. So Mythic Americas itself is going to have eight factions. And uh, all I can sort of loosely tell you is that there's an there's uh, there's one sort of based on the one of the, you know, on the uh, largest water feature on the South American continent. Um 
and uh, and the jungles around it. There's a, a one that's uh, really kind of focused on the Caribbean. There's another North American uh, faction uh, coming, warband coming. There's one that's not from this uh, from from the Americas necessarily. And then there's one that's really very cool, which is sort of an amalgamation of various groups within within uh, within the Mythic Americas world. So mm-hmm. you'll have a total of eight. The other cool thing is we will introduce uh, specific groups within each uh, faction as we so there 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 will be campaign uh, uh, books and uh, that we that we'll be putting out that are that will have new. Um, nations, you know, tribal nations, groups that will have new Maya uh, troops, that kind of stuff, right? So that it, it, we're we're committed. This is a five year game plan as in as far as developing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mythic Americas is part of a five book uh, rule set under the the term of Mythic Earth, and so um, you know this is why we've all sort of mortgaged our puppies and and uh, and houses and mm-hmm. cars, right? So we can focus on doing this. Uh, and working with Warlord, we Mythicos, Mythic, uh, uh, Mythicos Studios design all the miniatures. Uh, Warlord produces them all. We work with a lot of great sculptors around the world. Um, and so Mythic Americas is the first of five books. Uh, there's going to be Mythic Asia, Mythic Europe, Mythic Africa. And then the final book is called Mythic uh, Earth. And Mythic Earth really is the thing that encompasses all of the the mythology around this notion of balance and it's it's focused all on uh about earth right so but it's from the point of view of the different cultures around the the globe and all around this balance that we've talked about um so for us you know as a group it's exciting as heck because one of the driving forces behind all of these books is the best way i can describe it to you is uh, this idea that we want history is written by the you know uh, the winners right the victors so there are a lot of incredible mythologies around the world that aren't necessarily the main tropes you know uh, that we're used to even on a continental basis depending on where you live on the planet right within each one of these uh, places Asia Africa there's an enormous amount of mythology and his and history that just doesn't get to to, to the mainstream. And so we really want to focus on a lot of the stuff that you haven't seen mm-hmm. from a mythology and a history point of view. So these different books are going to do uh, similar things to what Mythic uh, uh, Americas is doing. And then we were, we're going to wrap it up with Mythic Earth, which really is a way to allow for all factions to fight under this, uh, you know, in the way. Uh, under these two main alignments uh, for for balance uh, here on Earth, and the the fluff we don't we won't even get into that. But from a, from a design point of view, it will give us the ability to now imagine, you know, six to eight factions per per book, and and the fun that we will have in the next few years, um, uh, playtesting all of these factions, so that eventually, I know it sounds crazy, so that eventually Mythic Earth becomes one giant battlefield where you could. Um, you could have these uh, this this incredible scenes on on tabletops of ever living and ever changing forces from all over the globe fighting for one big one big uh, uh, sort of attempt at either achieving the balance or ending the balance altogether. Um, so that that's our assignment, and um, you know, for our focus is is um, 
Mythic Americas right now. It, it will continue to be the focus uh, through this year and next year. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to uh, follow up with one of the Mythic uh, books, likely to be Mythic Asia. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's not going to be a flash in the pan as far as as far as we know. You know, we will continue to design and produce the miniatures. Awesome. Um, um, you know, for years to come. I mean, it's we think that there's an enormous appetite for this, and every, the the day we launched the game or announced the game, I'm not exaggerating. I had dozens of emails and texts and messages from people saying, "What about the Inuit? What about Vikings? They mm-hmm. were in Nova Scotia." You know, um, it, it just be, it was awesome. It was just it was great because, by the way, there's a lot of people who have models within these realms that would be that we want to make sure that we're out there, you know, putting some rules together for folks to be able to use Vikings if that comes to be someday within, you know, uh, within these history. So um, lots of fun coming up for us. I mean, personally, I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I know that um, it's going to be an awesome it's a five year design project. And we're just in the very beginning of it. So cool. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, I, I was blown away to hear that you're doing mythic other parts of the world. And um, the ideas are spinning uh, in my head yeah. round and round. I'm very excited about this. And I mean, that's saying something given how excited I was to see and still am excited to see the Mythic Americas book. So, ooh, lots of great opportunities there. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Uh, I, I know that. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I don't say that lightly, to talk about a game that I absolutely love, but a new way of playing it, uh, and then to hear about all the exciting things that are coming down the pipe, and just, I, I'm excited to try out these primary and secondary objectives. I want to I wanna battle out uh, the way on the tabletop. I want to see... Is it going to be the other living or the ever changing? I, I, I'm excited to uh, to be part of this narrative, and I know a lot of people who are listening are too. Um, I know this because we've had a lot of requests to talk about the game uh, through uh, the Cast Dice Facebook page. Now, guys, if you have any uh, criticisms or any comments or any praise or anything that you'd like to hear on the Warlord Games official podcast, um, you'll need to contact me through my personal uh, podcast. Facebook page, which is Cast Dice, which is C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you message that page, um, you are guaranteed a response. My name is Brad. Hi. Um, I will respond to you, and most, if not all, of the topics covered on the show these days come directly from you. So if you want to hear more about a game from the Warlord Pantheon or upcoming Warlord releases or things that we have covered in the past and you want to revisit them, we did do quite a lot of that earlier this year, specific games that you want to hear about please message let us know we are listening and of course everything that you guys are suggesting we are doing so thank you very much for listening and guys nelson chris thank you so much for joining us today it has been an absolute pleasure uh and we wish you all the the best and good luck uh with these endeavors i mean this is a colossal herculean task but looking at the quality of the models that are coming out just right out of the gate. I mean, so many times when a game starts, you, you look at it and go, okay, that's good. And then it gets better over time. God, your stuff coming out the gate is astonishingly good. So uh, I am looking forward to this with bated breath. Thank you again. Brad, thank you so much, man. Best of luck. Cheers. Well, Thanks guys, for having us, Brad. anytime, anytime. And uh, hopefully we'll have to have you back soon to talk about other releases. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it, man. Stay healthy, stay good, stay uh, stay safe. 
You said it literally the words out of my mouth. Guys, stay safe out there. The world is a crazy place these days, but we at Warlord hope that you are well and that you are playing and having fun. Guys, podcasts don't cost money, uh, but time is often money for some of us. So we really do hope. Um, we thank you for listening, for taking the time to, uh, to be a part of the Warlord community, and we hope that you are safe out there. Have a good one, guys. Good night.